We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we're talking about the FBI's attempt to become more diverse within its special agent ranks. The assistant special agent in charge in the Bureau's St. Louis office is Alicia Corder. She is the first female executive in the St. Louis office. She joins me in studio along with her boss, Richard Quinn, the St. Louis special agent in charge. Thank you both so much for being with us. Alicia, congratulations to you. You've been here since March. Do you have your sea legs yet? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. And yes, I'm getting them. I'm getting my sea legs underneath me. How has it been going so far? It's been going quite well. Oh. I'm getting used to St. Louis and the city and the people, and what a great city. So, yeah, so well, far we're so good. We're glad to have you here, and again, congratulations on making this history. Rich, uh, I'd like to begin with you by just getting an overview, and we'll talk more in detail later, an overview about this diversity recruitment program you've got going. Sure, Don. Well, you know, first, thanks for having us on the program and giving us a forum to talk about it. So, you know, whether you're <clears throat> in federal law enforcement or, or state and local law enforcement, probably the most important currency that you have is trust with the community. And when you think about it, in any, in any relationship, trust is the most important thing. In order to trust, you have to understand. You have to be able to understand. And in order to be able to understand, you have to to have perspective, different perspectives. And so diversity is one way for us to become more effective at what we do. Um, and it doesn't really matter whether it's gender or ethnicity, race, that type of thing. We're just trying to diversify our ranks so we can be more effective at what we do in our jobs. You know, you mentioned trust, and I have to get to this sooner or later. I think the FBI has uh, some trust issues that it has to face these days. Uh, an awful lot of publicity. In fact, uh, Peter Strzok, I guess, is testifying today before the House committee. So it's much in the news. Um, how are you dealing with that, and how does that work into this whole recruiting or the recruitment plan? recruitment plan? Yeah, so I, I think one way to look at it, really the only way to look at it from our standpoint is when the inspector general came out with, with his report, uh, we, we understand, we get the criticism, we get the concern, and we not only accepted the findings of the inspector general report, but we also accepted and have dedicated ourselves, committed ourselves to the recommendations within the report. But I think a little perspective is valuable. You know, the FBI has, has been in existence for over 110 years. And during those 110 years, we have, uh, I think, an admirable record of demonstrating character, competency, commitment, and professionalism um, when it comes to, to identifying and holding accountable terrorists, saboteurs, spies, cyber criminals, people who kidnap, child abductors, things of that sort. Sure. So I think a little bit of perspective and a bit of a reality check in that you shouldn't judge an organization just on the basis of one case. That said, we're an organization that continues to evolve, and we are certainly not immune from criticism. 
And so when that criticism is voiced, when it's identified, we do our best to accept it and make ourselves better. And I think that's where we're at now. Alicia, have you run into any trust issues during the time you've been in St. Louis or before because of all of this? No, I can't. I can't say that that I have or it's I felt an impact in what my particular mission was at any given moment during the course of this other than just the general it's out there all the time it's in the media we're in the media a lot and that's that's unusual over the course of my 15 years but for the most part i would say the day-to-day functions are unaffected we just do our work do you feel and i'll put this question to both of you and then we can move on to other things do you feel caught up in a political moment if you will that this is politics uh, gotten in the way of your job in any sense so I'll field the question first, Don. I mean, listen, you would be naive um, to think that you don't notice uh, the media firestorm around some of this. But the fact of the matter is I've got 21 years in. And during that time, one of the principles that we've always adhered to is that we're apolitical. And so in the day-to-day function of what we do, no, it doesn't impact us. Mm-hmm. I think our director said it quite well in that the opinions of those who we are most concerned about are our law enforcement partners, uh, the members of the community within which we work and with whom we rely upon or we rely heavily upon them to do our jobs. And so we we don't get distracted by everything that's going on in the media. We have a job to do and we try to stay we try to concentrate on doing that job and let the chips fall where they may when it comes to public opinion hopefully the american public and i certainly do expect the american public to recognize that 110 years of doing what we've done in the way that we've do it um we don't just try to do we're not just doing the right thing we're doing it the right way mm-hmm. And I think that currency has translated to equity. And I I give the American public the benefit of the doubt and have a little bit more faith and trust in them. Alicia, how's morale from your perspective as a result of all of this? I think it remains high. I I mean, again, I don't want to diminish that it does have an impact um, or ignore the fact um, that it is occurring that we're in the media every day and there is a certain amount of, I guess, weariness maybe that comes with that. Um, but the morale is high because we, in times, all the time, but certainly in times like this, we just endeavor to do our mission and we stay focused on that mission always and that that's what our jobs are and that's what we're committed to doing. And so that's what always sees us through. You know, Don, to just echo what what Alicia had said, you know, there's certainly – these are hot-button issues within inside the beltway of Washington, D.C., and I don't mean to minimize uh, those at all. That said, as you you get further and further away from Washington, you know, we're dealing with some very real problems out here Mm -hmm. that we – you know, whether it be opioids or violent crime in a city like St. Louis, uh, racial divisiveness, those are the things that we concentrate on. And all of that other stuff, it's not that uh, we don't take it into, or I should say, it's not that we don't recognize it, 
but we quite frankly don't have time to distract ourselves with it when we've got more important work to do. Of course, these days, information is disseminated in so many different ways uh, and to so many different people through so many different digital devices. Uh, it's very difficult to get away from it. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. Okay, let's talk about other things. Uh, your, your points are well taken. Alicia, I'll come back to you. Tell us a little something about your background. What got you from wherever 15 years ago to here? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am from Terre Haute, Indiana. And I was, I'll just quickly tell this story because I think it um, illustrates a point I want to make. Mm-hmm. I was in school um, at Indiana State to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go to med school and become a surgeon. And I was taking a criminal justice course for general ed credit. And in that course, an FBI agent came to the class and spoke to us about what he did. And it's not anything I had considered before, but there was something about the way he spoke about the people he worked with and the mission he served and his passion and dedication to it that I was absolutely struck by it. And the next week, I went and changed my major and uh, ended up going to law school and uh, geared everything after that to becoming an agent. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what I did. I went to law school, practiced a couple years. The Bureau was in a hiring freeze when I was applying out of law school, so I had to wait a little bit. And then I got in in 2003, spent about 10 years in California uh, working counterterrorism and criminal investigations, and then the last five years I was in Washington, D.C., uh-huh. That's, I guess, the place to be uh, when you're with an organization like the FBI, at least for a certain period of time. Uh, Rich, I know you grew up in, in North County, so you're, you've come home. How long have you been uh, here? So I have been back for about seven months now. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had left the St. Louis area roughly around 1985, and so the city that I've moved back into is a little different in my memory than the one that I left. Mm-hmm. In what ways? Um, you know, the pers- in my career, I, I came into the FBI in 1997, and as you move up, move up in your career with the FBI, you have a tendency to move around. Mm-hmm. And so the cities that I've lived in or been stationed in, New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., but I've always had great affection for the city of St. Louis. I, I, I'm biased, but I think it's one of the greatest cities in the world. Um, but as I, that, that, distance, I was able to to see the reputation of St. Louis develop into something that I didn't recognize from when I was young. Uh, You know, it has a a national reputation of being a violent city, of being a city with significant uh, racial divisiveness. And so that... Uh, is probably the biggest change. And it's one of the reasons why I came back or why I wanted to come back is I wanted to be a part of the solution and try to reverse that narrative because I think the citizens of this city, they're hardworking. There's no artifice. They are simple people. And that's what I think makes it great. Do you think it helps you in your current job to have been, uh, have grown up here? Well, the icebreaker of where did you go to high school is certainly something that I can answer quickly and, and decisively. Alicia so. has already caught on to that. Well, and no doubt she's the high school it. thing around here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it's an interesting, almost a quandary for me, Don, because while I, I certainly have come home, I don't want to be perceived as somebody who's just been always, always here because 
I think the experience that I have gathered over the course of my 21 years has, has given me perspective and perhaps a little bit of uh, a refreshing um, outlook on how to handle some problems. Mm-hmm. And so while it's good to be home, um, I, I don't necessarily want to leverage all of those relationships and things of that sort. I kind of like coming in from the outside. And conversely, Alicia, you're coming in with something of a blank slate, uh, fresh eyeballs, if you will, on a fresh community. Uh, is that, do you think, an advantage for someone like yourself? Oh, I definitely think so. And yeah. I'll, I'll echo what the SAC was just speaking about. And it is, um, it is a benefit, I think, to have a wide variety, a diverse background, and have been to different places and experienced different things. It opens your aperture to having different perspectives and being able to see a problem and know maybe a couple ways to deal with it, whether than just having one experience in one place. I think that um, refreshment, as the boss just said, is a good word to describe that. Have to take a break. We'll do that now and come back and continue our conversation with Richard Quinn, the special agent in charge of the St. Louis Office of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and with Alicia Corder, assistant special agent in charge of the office, the first female to hold that position here in St. Louis. Back to continue the conversation in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back. As we continue our discussion on the FBI's attempt to increase diversity in its special agent ranks. The qualifications, Rich, uh, used to be when I was growing up that if you wanted to be in the FBI, you had to either be a lawyer or a CPA. I I, I gather that no longer necessarily holds, although Alicia does have a law degree. Well, and so do I. And so we are. (laughs) I'm not going to say we're atypical, uh, but Alicia can walk you through what three three of the primary requirements are, but you know that's one of the reasons why we're here, Don, and talking about this event that we're going to have on July 11th is, is we're looking to atta- attract people from so many different backgrounds because it isn't just a law and accounting organization because we don't live in just a law and accounting world anymore. And with that diversity in the world, we have to evolve and change. And the best way to do that is get people from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Why don't you pick up on that, Alicia, if you would? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, certainly no secret that the FBI has hired its fair share of lawyers, accountants, uh, former law enforcement, former military. But um, we have a whole array of people from different backgrounds, and really that's what we need, particularly uh, STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, math. We're always looking for those um, biology, uh, foreign languages. So a diverse background, not just in gender, ethnicity, race, but also in work and life experience. Your recruiter here, as I understand it, is uh, Shaban Johnson. Is that correct? Do I have the name pronounced correctly? So Shaban is actually, she works out of our Chicago field office. She's originally, she had attended Washington University. Uh And interestingly enough, I was a supervisor in Chicago and Shaban had worked for me while I was Uh up there. 
I, I uh, misunderstood. I thought perhaps she was uh, she was here. She is African American. She's female, so she fits the kind of the profile that uh, that you're looking for. She does, and she and, and in fact, uh, Shaban, she was a ballet dancer and a couple. Of, it, it comes from a, a background that you would charitably mm-hmm. describe as is atypical. But she's an outstanding agent um, and, and a very good recruiter as well. So yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. It's indicative of, of the type of diverse background we're looking for. Alicia, what other qualifications? We mentioned, you know, the diversity obviously is something you're looking for, but what other uh, attributes are you looking for? Yeah, so, I mean, there's some basic eligibility requirements, and I can talk about those, um, and then I'll talk about what you're getting at. Mm -hmm. But some of the basic things, U.S. citizenship, no felonies uh, in your background, a minimum of a bachelor degree, and then you're going to need uh, three years of work experience mm-hmm. on top of that. If you have a professional or advanced degree, you'll need two more, just two years of work experience mm-hmm. to apply. And then, of course, be between the ages of 23 and 36. But what we're looking for, really, when we say all of that, is enough education, work, and life experience that you can speak to and articulate how you represent our core competencies, which include things like collaboration, communication, flexibility, adaptability, initiative, leadership, qualities like that. That's what we're looking for. And really, um, you know, at the end of the day, there is no, we say this a lot, there's no typical day in the Bureau. There's no typical agent or background in the Bureau. But what we do all share is the commitment to what we stand for, which is fidelity, bravery, and integrity. Mm-hmm. And if you can articulate that, that passion and dedication, that's that's what we need and that's what we want. We'll turn you into an agent. We'll do the rest. Well, part of that is is training. And I assume that that uh, still happens at Quantico. Is that where the FBI is still doing its training? It does, Don. Um, the, length of tra- the length of time that you spend in the training has changed a little bit from when I came in in 1997. If I recall correctly, I was down at Quantico for anywhere from 16 to 17 weeks. I believe, and I'll have to verify this with Alicia, that it's probably up to 21 or 22 okay. weeks now. That's right. That's and it's pretty intensive. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it covers everything. Uh, you know, we get the basics on investigating uh, techniques. Certainly, firearms training is incorporated into that. Defensive tactics training, um, the physical fitness aspect of it. The uh, the issue we were talking about early on, the fact that there is some uh, some issues concerning the FBI, has that affected uh, recruiting at all? You know, I don't. I, I don't know, Don. To be honest with you, I, I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, there may there may be a reduction in in some of the applicants, but I think it's probably more born of opportunities that are out there that are outside of public service. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't think uh, that there's any correlation between a reduction in applications and the current media environment. Mm -hmm. Is the training the same uh, at Quantico, Alicia, for men and women? It is. It is all the same training. Um, The physical fitness test is scored on a slightly different scale just to adjust for size, Mm -hmm. height and weight, things like that. But other than that, the test itself is the same. And, um, you know, I I would highlight that to any women out there who think that maybe are skeptical of uh, their ability to rise to the level of, of 
the physical challenges with the job. I assure you that the training at Quantico will more than give you the technique, skill, and more importantly, really, the confidence to know that you can handle yourself in any of those situations. What's going to be happening at the recruiting event on uh, July 11th? Oh, good. I'm glad you asked. So Uh excited to tell you. Um, So we're going to have an array of things going on. Um, We will have a panel of agents from different backgrounds that will be there to tell you their story, um, their journey through the Bureau, what it's been like to be an agent, but maybe even more importantly, the decision of how uh, or how they came to the decision to become an agent and pursue that that career path. Um, we will also have an opportunity for that panel to have a Q&A with the audience. Mm-hmm. And then we will have our um, display of what I like to refer to as our specialty teams. So we'll have our evidence response team on hand with a booth and also our SWAT team will be there as well. So uh, you find people that want are so excited by all of this, they want to sign an application. Is that what they do? And then what? So to register for this event um, on July 11th here in St. Louis, you go to apply.fbijobs.gov and you search under DAR, D-A-R, which stands for Diversity Agent Recruitment. You find the St. Louis event and you apply to it. Then you have to wait to make sure we have to do some basic things on our end uh, to make sure you meet our eligibility requirements. Then we'll send you an invitation that uh, specifies the time and the location um, on July 11th. And uh, you show up and ask all your questions. And um, really, I think it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to have um, that kind of access and to get all your questions asked. And just to, to, just to bring it full circle to illustrate what I was saying earlier, just to be open to it, because I was sitting in a class in college on a very different path. And you just never know where you are in your life where maybe this really does make sense. So I I think if you're open to it at all and you feel that you can have that dedication and passion that we're looking for, come at least listen, hear about it. Is there a deadline for getting that paperwork in before the 11th? Yeah, so you would need to get there and uh, get uh, registered by uh, July 1st. We might extend that to July 5th, but yes, we are tick-tocking. Yeah. Rich, uh, a question that I'm sure many applicants would have, and before I ask the question, I'll point out, we'll put all everything Alicia just said in our website so people access it that way at stlpublicradio.org. But I know a question that people would have in thinking about a career is, how much money am I going to make? Can you, you give us any sense of what starting salaries are for the Bureau? Oh, uh, let's see. A GS. Well, it depends on what career path you come uh-huh. into, Don. I mean, there, there's two. There, there's basically three um, career paths within the FBI. You have the special agent career path, which most people are familiar with. You have the intelligence analyst career path, and then you have professional staff. Mm-hmm. And so your starting salary for each is going to be different. But for purposes of our conversation, mm-hmm. a special agent, and I'll have to re- defer to Alicia on this, a special agent coming into Quantico will be making approximately what? So that'll come in at the GS-10 um base pay. And so I, I don't have locality pay included in mm-hmm. here. So with Just locality pay, estimate. yeah, it's about 62.5. But that, sure. again, doesn't include locality pay, which sure. could go significantly up. And then we increase, in, sorry, increase quickly yeah. um, after that. So you go up every year to a GS, you start GS 10, 11, 12, and then you hit 13. So by year five, you're in three figures. That's, that's pretty good. Six for figures. Young, young people getting out of college or young adults, uh, that's a pretty good starting point. Many, many uh, jobs and professions don't start nearly that uh, that high. Don, it's, it, yes, it's, it's yeah. definitely a decent living. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that I would also 
take some some time to point out is that there are other forms of compensation. Um, it's not just about money. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I consider it an honor and a privilege, and I don't think you can have more of a ser- more of a serious obligation than to serve the public. And people see the depiction of how the FBI works on television, and while I, you know, there's there's the coolness factor, which I think our jobs are fantastic and cool, um, but it's just that responsibility that you get to protect the community that you live in. Uh, it's a, it's not a career. It's a calling. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the messages that I would like to get out to people as well. Don't just evaluate your career choices by how much you're going to make. Is your work going to be intrinsically valuable? Mm-hmm. And for me, the answer is an unqualified yes over the course of the last 21 years. Well, in the remaining time that we have, let's talk a little bit about what's going on here in St. Louis, uh, Rich and Alicia. Um, what's keeping you hopping uh, right now in our community? Yeah, so uh, listen, Don, the, it's no secret that at the federal, state, and local law enforcement level, one of our priorities, if not the highest priority, is reducing the violent crime in the city. And we're fortunate to have a, a relatively new new roster of federal, state, and, and local officials. You have myself. I've, I've been on the job now for, for eight months. Um, the new United States Attorney, Jeff Jensen. We have mm-hmm. a new chief of police in St. Louis City, John Hayden. We have a new DEA uh, head, Bill Callahan and Fred Winston from the ATF. And so we're very excited. We, we all come from different backgrounds. We have different perspectives and our own thoughts on how to work together to reduce the crime rate in the city of St. Louis. And that's the thing that keeps us most busy these days. The priority is violent crime, obviously, from the mayor on down. Everybody's concerned about it and talking yes. about it. But what can be done about it? I mean, everybody you're talking about is new, but the problem is old. Yes. So I, t- I can tell you one thing that is not going to solve the problem is we're not going to arrest our way out of this problem. There's a law enforcement component, and for that, you know, we have to collaborate and leverage the resources and the authorities that each of us bring to the table, typically through something called a task force environment. The thing that gives me optimism and confidence that we will make an appreciable difference in the city uh, and in the county in the days, weeks, months, and years to come is we've made it a priority and I think we have a wonderful group of community leaders that we can now work with that get to the root causes of the violence and not just arrest our way out of it via addressing the symptoms. Alicia, do you bring any ideas in this regard from Indiana? Are they doing anything? Were they doing anything there that would be helpful to us here? Well, you know, I don't know if they're doing anything different there, but I will say one of my impressions since coming to St. Louis is um, it's very unique in that certainly anywhere I've ever been, um, it's different in the number of municipalities just with the law enforcement partners. And what I have been so impressed with since arriving here is the degree of collaboration and the law enforcement capacity that we have on the task force to, it really is um, a force multiplier for us. And it um, is the most effective way to at least address the violent crime through law enforcement, because it gives us the opportunity in that task force and collaborative environment to leverage our different authorities and resources 
at the problem. That's been something of a blessing and a curse uh, in many ways because there are so many different jurisdictions and mm-hmm. sometimes difficult to communicate. But, you're, uh, Rich, you're finding you're working your way through that. Absolutely. Yeah, the information – since 9-11, I think it's been understood that information sharing is at a premium. Um, you have to build up the relationships and the infrastructure that allows you to, to do that information sharing. But for me – uh, adding to what Alicia said, given all of the municipalities and all of the community leaders, I think at this point in time you're starting to see people congeal uh, in a concerted effort to address the problem as opposed to working it independently and in silos. Yeah, and that's what it's going to take. It's more than just law enforcement, isn't it? Yes. It's neighborhoods. It is. Yeah. We're going to have to let it go at that. Is there anything you want to add about your, your, your main mission here concerning recruitment before we go? Now, the only thing that I would add, Don, is if, if you're considering uh, a career in law enforcement or just con- considering a career in general, give a hard look to the FBI. It's more than a career. It's a calling. Yeah. Alicia, final thought? Now, I would just echo the same, and I'll tell you there's not been a single day in 15 years that I've ever second-guessed or regretted this choice to, to do this work. Um, so it's, it's beyond fulfilling, and uh, please come out on July 11th. Register. Good luck on, uh, on July 11th. We'll put all the information that you've imparted on our website, once again, at sdlpublicradio.org. Rich Quinn and Alicia Corder, thank you so much for being with us. It's been great meeting you, and I hope you have much success in recruiting and in the job that you do, needless to say. Thank you so much. Thank you, Don. Be safe. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.